Holy Spirit, uh, have free reign in our hearts of all those that hear, uh, that you would speak to their hearts and not just have me speak, but have you be able to speak exactly what you want them to hear. Pray that you bless us now in Jesus' name. I pray these things. Amen. Well, we've been studying our theme verse for 2024, and this is our uh, this is our fourth week now uh, in Revelation 1:3. Uh, Blessed is he that readeth, and they uh, that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That's our theme verse for the year, uh, especially the theme: the time is at hand. Uh, here, the Bible tells us that we can be blessed. Blessed is he. Uh, how many of you want to be blessed? Amen. Uh, we all want to be blessed. Well, the Bible tells us in multiple places where how we can be blessed. The person who does these three things can be blessed and will be blessed. Then he t- tells the reason we need to do these things. He says, for the time is at hand. You know, when we look at the world around us, it's almost like we can see it's getting closer and closer Pieces of the puzzle uh, falling into place, possibly fulfilling prophecy right before our eyes. The time is at hand, my friend. And so, what do we need to do to be blessed during this time? This verse tells us that we need to read the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God every day so we can have wisdom, so we can have understanding during this time. He says we need to hear the words. Last week we looked at three passages of scripture that spoke of the importance of hearing the word as it's preached. And God has chosen to use preaching as his method to have us hear the word of God proclaimed. And we need to be under the preaching of God's word if we're going to receive the blessing that is promised to us. If we hear it, it builds our faith. Because Romans 10, 17 tells us, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So our faith is built and increased when we hear the preaching of God's word. I wish the people in our church could really understand how important it is to hear the preaching of God's word as often as they can. Not because I'm standing here in the pulpit preaching by any means, but in spite of the fact I'm the one standing here preaching. We need to hear the word of God preached as often as we can. Today we look at the third requirement to receive the blessings that is promised in Revelation 1-3. He says, keep. Keep those things which are written therein. When the Bible talks about keeping the word of God, there are two meanings that are present. I want to look at both of those meanings, uh, meanings today. The first meaning, when they, we say that we need to keep the word of God, is number one, Roman number one there, keep it in your heart. Keep it in your heart. That is to memorize and meditate on the word of God. And Psalm 119 verse 4 says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. There are multiple words in the Bible that are translated keep in the Bible. Uh, Hebrew and Greek. In the Hebrew especially, there are two uh, meanings specifically of that word. Two, excuse me, there are uh, two, two directives given. Uh, one in keeping is the idea of 
keeping it in your heart or memorizing it. The other is to obey. But this one here is specifically in this verse where it says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. It's talking about keeping it in our hearts. Why is it important to keep God's word hidden in our hearts? What are the benefits of memorizing God's word? Although there are many, I want to look at four this morning according to Scripture. First of all, and probably most practically, measuring, memorizing God's word. First of all, letter A there in your notes, keeps you from sin. Memorizing God's word keeps you from sin. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he used the word of God to fight those temptations. If the perfect son of God used the word of God to fight temptation, do you think maybe we ought to do the same? Amen. But if we're going to fight temptation, we're going to have to know what the verses are everywhere we go. How many of you only get tempted while you're reading the Bible? Well, only then. No, we get tempted all the time, right? We get tempted when we don't have our Bibles all the time. Well, that means you have to carry the Bible with you. Not physically, but in your heart. You can carry the Bible physically too. That's not a problem, but... Keep it in your heart. The Bible tells us if we resist Satan, he will flee. Amen? The best way to resist him is to quote Scripture to him. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. It's directly connected to the realization that if we memorize God's word, we can resist temptation to sin. I read an interesting article the other day. Be patient with me here, but London cabbies have been iconic fixture in the London street scene for decades. Now, the black taxi cab and their extraordinary cabbies are the focal point of a new expedition into Alzheimer's research. Cabbies have an incredible knowledge of London streets that seem to confer some protection against Alzheimer's disease. And this could be clinically relevant to the struggling patients of those seeking to kind of mitigate those, their risks. The article said since 1865, London cabbies have been required to pass a difficult test known as the knowledge to prove that they could find 100,000 businesses and landmarks in a labyrinth of tens of thousands of streets. The series of exams, which takes three to four years to complete, has been hailed as possibly the most difficult memorization test in the world. To be fully licensed to drive anywhere in London, a cabbie needs to know how to plot routes without a GPS on 26,000 streets spanning a six-mile radius from London center point. But London cabbie skills are now being tested for a different reason, to determine whether the brains hold clues that might be applied to Alzheimer's research. A project called Taxi Brains is underway at University College London to study the brains of London cabbies as they map out tax routes while undergoing MRI scans. And the hippocatamus region of, the, uh, of, of taxi br dr uh, drivers' brains, which play an important role in learning and memory, appear to grow larger the longer the driver, uh, drivers are on the job, while the same region is known to shrink in people with Alzheimer's. Okay, uh, I'm going to make an application here. If memorization helps stem memory loss or put a, put, put a stop to memory loss or help with memory loss, 
how much more is memorizing God's word going to help? Amen? Say, well, I just can't memorize. Find a way, amen? <laughs> Find a way. You know, God's word confirms that scripture memorization is crucial to our spiritual health. And, you know, how many times in modern days, uh, and I'm guilty of this, I'll be honest. Well, I, I tend to use Google or smartphone and the internet as a crutch for hiding God's word in my heart. I grew up memorizing the Word of God, and I have hundreds of, uh, probably thousands because of Christian schools <laughs> that I attended, and Sunday school and everything else, uh, in my brain somewhere. I have a difficult sometimes with recall. <laughs> you know, and they pop up, the Holy Spirit pops them up sometimes when I need them, and praise the Lord for that, but trying to recall them is sometimes difficult, but they're there. But I kind of have gotten lazy a little bit. And stopped exercising that part of my brain and started relying on tech tools to help me remember where a passage is or something like that. We need to be careful to utilize what God has given us, amen? God gave us this brain, this computer, to use. And there's benefits for it, as now medical research is finding out. This memorization actually will help us. It's amazing. How easy it is to fall on the internet to draw up verses that we need, just like other pieces of information. But we do ourselves a disservice if we rely only on this to hide it in our hearts. We need to memorize it. Don't give up that memorization tools. Say, well, I, I have a difficult time. That's okay. If it takes you two years to memorize one verse, hey, that's better than none. Amen? But whatever the case Keep God's word at hand and work on it. Secondly, the Bible says that having God's word in your heart keeps you from failing. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 37, 31. It'll come up on the screen here. It says, the, Lord, the law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The Bible says here that it is the law of God. If it is in his heart, none of his steps will slide. If you... Keep your focus on God's word. You keep it in your hearts, in the center focus of your hearts. You memorize God's word. You meditate on God's word. The Bible says that none of your steps will slide. It speaks to failure, to failing, to falling. The word speaks to slipping. What a promise, amen? What power there is in memorizing and meditating on God's word. But at times we fall away from the focus that we ought to have. When that happens, we're not keeping them in our hearts. It's more than just having it in your head. It's having it in your heart. It makes all the difference. Nikita Khrushchev, Khrushchev excuse me, the former communist czar of Russia, won awards in Sunday school for memorizing all four of the Gospels. And yet, as an adult, he fought against Christianity and persecuted Christians and declared that God was non-existent because his cosmonauts had not seen him in space. That was the proof they needed, I guess. He had memorized the all four Gospels. What was the problem? It got, didn't get from the head to the heart. But there's always hope. God's word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
we allow it to open our hearts, we can have it do its work in our hearts, even when we least expect it. Philip Turner, a small-town attorney, uh, realized he was waking up in an intensive care unit of the hospital somewhere for reasons he couldn't quite understand or figure out at the time. And there were machines and strange blinking sounds, and his body didn't feel right, and concerned faces ho hovered over him. And he, he closed his eyes and tried to think, and he, he listened to the electronic hums and the strange of the, uh, the strange sterile place around him and the beep, beep, beep of the machines that he'd rather not have so quite so close to his ears. It had been a balmy evening in Shelby, Shelbyville, Illinois, and a friend had dropped by the Phillips house suggesting a nighttime plane ride. Philip and his wife Bobby were game, and they drove out to the town's small airstrip, climbed into a four-seater beach musketeer, and a few minutes later, they were airborne. Looking down on their serene, sleepy town, recognizing lands landmarks and feeling like birds soaring through the moonlight darkness. A few moments later, the run light, runway lights came into view and the passengers prepared for landing. That's the last thing that Philip remembered. Later, he learned that the nose wheel of the musketeer hit a power line, flipping the plane over Bobby, his wife, was thrown through the side window onto the ground, while Philip remained suspended, head downward in his seatbelt with over a hundred fractures. As he regained consciousness, Philip's mind was fragmented with scattered, confused images. Hours passed and his head began to clear and a series of thoughts suddenly came in his mind. He couldn't voice his concerns, he couldn't talk yet, and yet... All of these thoughts began to come and a series of thoughts suddenly came to, into his mind like brilliant shafts of light. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Who hath saved us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Fear not, for God so loved the world. Is there anything too hard for me? These were fragments of Bible verses. But Philip wasn't a religious man, and he didn't go to church. He hadn't opened a Bible in years. And he had certainly never memorized any Bible verses that he could think of, or had he. Slowly, a few vague memories filled his mind. A little circle of red chairs. Old Mrs. Wolf with an open Bible in her lap. Little cards. Awards. As a five-year-old boy, Philip had attended Sunday school class, and the teacher had drilled them on Bible verses. Those who had learned the verses were given prizes, but Philip never earned any awards. He had been a disappointment to Mrs. Wolf. Yet down in the depths of his brain, those memory verses lay like dormant seeds, waiting for just the right moment to germinate. Philip and Bobby slowly recovered from their injuries. In the process, they committed themselves to Christ and they started to go to church. Philip later began teaching Sunday school himself with great emphasis on Bible memorization. You know, we may lose sight to what is most important sometimes in life. But if we will just come back, God is right there ready to help us and keep us from falling. Thirdly, 
Bible memorization brings God's blessing. Of course, that is what we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he. Blessed is the man. But the beginnings may not always be what the blessing, excuse me, the blessings may not be what we've all what we envision them to be. Joshua tells us in Joshua 1:8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, when we think about this verse in Joshua telling us that our way will be made prosperous and we will have good success, we think that means we'll have great amounts of money. <laughs> Amen? And maybe God will allow that and bless us in that way. It's, it is possible. But far more precious than piles of gold is the blessings that he bestows on us when we meditate on God's word during times of trial. Vietnam veteran and former POW Howard Rutledge tells of the blessings that Bible memorization had in keeping him sane during his times in the Hanoi Hilton, being brutally interrogated and tortured. He and other prisoners began to remember verses that they had memorized long ago as children in Sunday school, and they began to, uh, to work uh, together to piece to get them together from collective memories. And they would say the verses over and over to themselves and to each other. He said that he never dreamed that he would end up spending seven years, five of them in solitary confinement, thinking about those verses, which made the whole day bearable, he said. It's the only thing he said that kept him sane. He said how he had wished he had memorized more than just the few that he had in his mind. He was able to hold on to those throughout indescribable torture. We don't know what we'll face in this life. We don't know how precious those verses will be to us as we are able to remember those blessings during our most difficult times. We may not face torture or imprisonment like that. But whatever the Lord allows in our lives... The blessings of God can flow on us throughout any of them if we memorize and meditate on God's word. It may be the hospital waiting room. It may be when the policeman knocks on your door to let you know there's been an accident. It may be the lonely night in bed alone. It may be any number of things. But whatever situation you face, when we're able to cling to the promises of God, quote them in the darkness, it brings the peace of God that passes all understanding. By the way, memorizing God's word does not guarantee life will be easy and everything will go well. But it does mean that we will have help and blessings no matter where God takes us. Fourthly, memorizing God's word enables us to witness. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, 
And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready always to give an answer. I remember being in the park as a child. I was probably first or second grade. I was playing with a boy I had only just met. I remember that while we were playing, I looked over <clears throat> at my mom as she was sitting on the park bench with this little boy's mother. I don't know why we were at the park alone, just me and her. Uh, usually my brother and sister accompanied. I was the youngest, so they were always there. But for some reason, it was just me and her. But I saw my mom talking to the other mother on the park bench there. And I saw that my mother had pulled out her New Testament out of her purse and had begun witnessing to this mother. I could tell what she was doing because I had seen both my mom and my dad do it. I thought, well, I, I should probably do the same. I didn't have a New Testament or a Bible, and it was long before smartphones. Plus, I was too young to have a smartphone anyways. But I wanted to talk to him about salvation and what I had learned. I began to quote verses from Romans that I had memorized. My parents had seen importance of all of us kids memorizing the Romans road of salvation. The verses in the Romans road, even back then when I was only in first or second grade. As I looked over at our moms and I saw our moms bowing their head and praying together. I began wrapping up and ta up talking about the verses that I was quoting. And I, I told him about what they were doing. And I asked if he wanted to accept Christ as his Savior as well. And he did. So we prayed together. That day, a mother and an eight to nine-year-old son accepted Christ as their Savior. That boy never would have accepted Christ that day had I not hid God's word in my heart and were ready to give an answer. Through the years, I have used those and many other verses on basketball courts, on frozen sections of the supermarket aisle, or in sidewalks of a busy city street, or a table at a restaurant, or a break room table at work, or many other places. People are dying and going to hell all around us. Are we going to do anything about it? Or are we going to allow discomfort and embarrassment make us miss the chance to be a part of God's salvation plan for those people? Memorizing God's word has so many benefits in our lives. But keeping God's word is more than just memorizing. The other definition or usage of this word in the Bible means, number two, to keep it in obedience. To keep it in obedience. There are five or six words that are translated as keep in the Bible, as I said earlier, two of which uh, can be read as memorizing, especially dependent upon the context of the verse. But all of the other carry the idea of obeying the word of God. This is the meaning of the usage in Revelation 1.3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. To receive God's blessings, we need to read the word of God. We need to hear the word of God preached. And we need to obey to keep what is written therein. I've often used James chapter 1 verse 22 with verses that we read earlier before we started. 
The last few weeks we've read that verse a couple of times because it's so vital to what we're talking about here. Again, James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Reading the Bible every day, all day, memorizing great passages of it, even sitting under preaching every single day of the week, will only do so much if we only let it go in one ear and out the other. Never let it touch our heart. We must be hearers, not hearers only, but doers of the word. This is true, first of all, for the lost man. Letter A there in your notes. The lost man needs to do this. For the lost man, it is the difference between hearing the truth and accepting the truth. I think of the passage in the Bible in Acts chapter 26 where Paul is brought before King Agrippa. And Paul is there and was able to give a great testimony about how Jesus changed his life and challenged King Agrippa to believe what the prophets and Jesus said. In verse 28, he says some of the saddest words, Agrippa says. He says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was so close. He heard the word of God, but he did not obey the word of God. George Whitfield, who preached during the colonial era before the American Revolution, he preached to tens of thousands at a time and brought on a great awakening in our country. He was good friends with Benjamin Franklin, an old skeptic. Benjamin Franklin was the publisher of many of George Whitfield's sermons. He made a lot of money off of Whitfield, based there in Philadelphia. He came and heard Whitfield preach, and he said this, Whitfield had a loud and clear voice and articulated his words and his sentences so perfectly that he might be heard and understood at a great distance. Being among the hindmost in Market Street, Philadelphia, I had the curiosity to learn how far he could still be heard by retiring systematically backward down the street to the river. And I found his voice distinct till I came near Front Street when some noise of the street obscured it. Imagine that semicircle of which my distance should be the radius and that it was, fi that it was filled by hearers to each of whom I allotted two square feet. I computed that he might be heard clearly by more than 30,000 people. Boy, what a voice, amen? He said that this was before PA systems, by the way, <laughs> in the open air. This is what Benjamin Franklin was doing during one of Whitfield's sermons. I think there are better ways to hear a Whitfield sermon than that, amen? George Whitfield as I said, became very good friends with Benjamin Franklin. They dined together frequently. And Whitfield earnestly sought his salvation every time they got together. After his famous lightning experiment, he wrote him a letter saying, You're advancing much in science, and I would urge you to study the doctrine of the new birth. It will do, do you much more good, both in this world and in the world to come. One of the saddest things I ever read about George Whitfield was something said by Benjamin Franklin after George Whitfield died. He said, we were good friends, Franklin said. 
and he consistently sought to win me, but never had the answers to his prayers. That was Benjamin Franklin talking about himself. Franklin had a knowledge of God. He considered himself a deist. But as far as we know, he never let it penetrate his heart. How sad it is. It's said by many, many will miss heaven by only eight inches. The distance between the brain and the heart. Oh, if you do not know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die, please do not miss heaven by eight inches. Trust in the one that we speak about today. Trust the words we read and the truths we preach. Talk to me today. Don't delay. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in Christ as your Savior. But it's not just the lost who need to hear the word but also do the word. Unfortunately, it's also the saved man. The book of James is written, after all, to the saved, to the brethren of the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad. Likewise, he's speaking to you today. Do not be just a hearer of the word today. Do what God has told you to do. If you wish to have the blessings of God on your life, you must read the word You must hear the word. You must keep what you have read and heard. You must obey it. James tells us in verse 23 and 24, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, a mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. How foolish it would be for us to see ourselves in a mirror, see that our hair is messed up and our clothes are wrinkled and just go on about our day as if nothing is wrong. How foolish that would be, right? James is saying that's foolishness just like hearing the word of God and not doing anything about it. James continues in verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, doing, in other words, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If you hear the word, you look into the word of God and see where you need to change. You don't forget about it, but you do what it tells you to do. James tells us that this man shall be blessed in his deed. You want the blessings of God on your life? I asked you early, earlier. How many of you want the blessings of God? Raise your hand. If you don't raise your hands, I, I wonder about you. Amen? All of us want the blessings of God in our lives. Well, the Bible clearly, not just here, but throughout Scripture, tells us what we need to do to be blessed by God. Here, the Bible says you better obey what you read and what you hear and keep it. A pastor stood at the back of the church as people filed out after the service one Sunday. One man stopped by the pastor, uh, by the pastor and shook his hand and said, That was a good sermon that you preached. The pastor smiled and shook the man's hand and replied, Well, that remains to be seen. 
what was implied is that the measure of the sermon cannot be determined until the message of the sermon is applied to the lives of the hearer. You know the phrase leap of faith? We've all heard that phrase. It's most often used in reference to the supposed need for people to ignore evidence and shut their eyes of their mind and leap into belief that is not even reasonable. That's the kind of the idea, a leap of faith. The man who made the, the phrase famous was Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher and Christian who wrote about faith in the first half of the 1800s. The concept of Kierkegaard's leap was very different than the traditional interpretation today. The Denmark of Kierkegaard's day was considered a Christian nation, much like modern America. What he observed, however, is that the term Christian had very little meaning in his country. To say I am Christian was about, to, about equal to saying, and just as meaningful as saying, I was born in Denmark. Often I've asked people, uh, are you a Christian? And they said, well, yeah, I'm American. But that's not what makes you a Christian, amen? Well, back in Kierkegaard's day, this was Danish, uh, this was uh, Denmark. Kierkegaard saw a Christianity that had no power, no life. It took no risks. It was a Christianity of knowing but not doing. He said, today's Christianity is a matter of being elevated for one hour, once a week, just as in a theater. It is not used to, hear, uh, it is not used to hearing everything without having the remotest notion of doing something. Boy, that sounds like America, doesn't it? Kierkegaard called Christians of his day to a different way of life, a way to live the Christian life that would bring, bring, bring blessings, a way of risk and commitment. He called for a leap of endless talk and rationalizing into action. He longed for a Christianity that converted not only the intellect, but also the will that would cause them to do what God said. This is Kierkegaard's leap of faith. The question today is, are you willing to take that leap of faith today? To take the leap of faith from someone who warms the pew, who hears the word of God preached, but now who will go out and live the word of God. Who will go out and keep the words which are written therein. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord. Father, so many people consider themselves Christians. It's getting less and less today since we've had a, had a, uh, a president proclaim that we are no longer a Christian nation. We see almost that that has given permission for people to not consider themselves Christian any longer. But even still today, it's pervasive among Christianity, especially throughout the South. That everyone just assumes that they're a Christian. And maybe they go to church. Maybe they heard the gospel. Maybe they even accepted the gospel. But they are hearers of the word only. And not doers of the word. Which is obvious in their lives. The choices they make. The struggles they face without any help. Father, I pray that that would not be a description of us. May we be eager and ready to answer your call. 
to say, I will do anything that you tell me to do. We know that you're a loving father. We know that you would never tell us to do something, first of all, that we could not do with your help. Secondly, that would cause us harm in the end. Oh, we may face difficulties. We may face trials. We may even face persecution. But we know how you work things to good to them that love you, who are called according to your purpose. Your purpose, not mine. I pray that you would help us, Lord, and speak to our hearts today. Father, as I pray this prayer right now, Lord, if there be anybody in this room that does not know you as their Savior, does not know 100% if they died today, that they would go to heaven. Father, I pray that they would yield their heart to you today. Come to you and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I know that you died on the cross for me, as your word said. I trust in you and you alone to bring me to heaven. May they pray to you in their own words and yield their heart to you. Father, if there be any Christians here today that do know you as their Savior, they do know that their home is in heaven, but their life here on earth has not been yielded to you. Father, I pray that you would help us to commit to you to read your word faithfully, daily, Absorb the word of God into our hearts and minds. Commit to you to hear the word of God faithfully. As often as we can be under the preaching of God's word, be there. If we can't be there for some reason, go to live stream or to watch the uh, recording afterwards to hear the word of God preached, to find the word of God on, uh, from another good Baptist church or whoever it is, but to seek out hearing your word and the truth of your word. And Father, Lord, when we hear it, when we read it, May we keep your word in our hearts and in our obedience. Lord, I pray that every Christian in this room today will make that commitment right now. Father, the time is at hand. The time is at hand right now for us to obey. The time is at hand that there will be a time when we are not able to make that decision anymore. I believe with all my heart your coming is nigh. I pray that we would yield, yield our hearts and lives to you wholly while there's still time. Be with us now today, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's open to page 334 in our psalm books. Let's all stand together.